Okay, our text for this evening is uh, Ruth uh, chapter 2, and we'll be uh, reading it in its entirety. Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come upon a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is a young Moabite woman, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told, has been fully told to me. And now you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she, had, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the, bu- the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, It was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she took her mother-in-law with... So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, 
May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, least in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, a gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. So we're working through uh, this series uh, in Ruth, and I think most of you uh, who are here today would have heard the first uh, three sermons from uh, Ruth uh, chapter 1. But it's it's worth mentioning that the the book of Ruth is uh, an Old Testament shadow uh, of uh, the gospel. Uh, Chapter 1, we see the sin of uh, of man, uh, and then the consequences of that working out through chapter 1. And in chapter 2, as we've just seen, and into chapter 3, God is working out his plan of redemption. And finally, in in chapter 4, the full redemption uh, of this family, this family uh, of this man, Elimelech, uh, is redeemed. Um, In this chapter, we are introduced, sorry, in the previous chapter, we're introduced to this man and his family, uh, Elimelech. And this opening verse, although it doesn't state it uh, literally, it's, it's like it's, it's pregnant with this question that God is asking, will you be faithful to me? It's a question that, that God seems to be, to be asking this family. Uh, and we don't have to go further than the next verse to see that Elimelech's answer is, is no. Um, he, he left uh, the land of Israel, which was at that time under the judgment of God um, uh, because of their rebellion. Uh, and he left to put his, his trust and uh, his auspices under uh, the, the, the God of Moab. Uh, a foreign god uh, and we see that uh, from that situation that, that his, his life uh, and the life of his family unraveled uh, pretty quickly and we come to the end of the chapter we see that Naomi who's lost her husband Elimelech's died and she's lost her two sons and she is left with uh, one of her remaining daughters-in-law uh, which is Ruth from where we get the name of the book and it seems that at the very end of this um, this this chapter God comes again uh, and asks this same question, uh, will you be faithful to me? And that just shows us something of, of, of the mercy of God, that he was well within his right to write this family off. He'd ask them, will you, will you be faithful to me? After all that I've done, after all my promises, will, will you be faithful to me? And they said, no, they, they turned away. But, but there at the end, after sin had, had worked all of its, its wicked power is there again, not chastising them, but saying, will you be faithful? That's the mercy and the, and the grace and just the loveliness of our God just, just seen in, in that, first, uh, that first chapter. Uh, but in between these two bookends of God asking, will you be faithful, we actually see an act of faithfulness even amongst all this sin. Uh, and that act of faithfulness is demonstrated by the main character, which is Ruth herself. Uh, that she had married one of uh, Naomi's sons. Uh, he had died, uh, and, uh, and her other, uh, the other of uh, Naomi's sons had died. And these two daughters-in-law, Ruth and, and, and Orpah, were left. And they decided to leave their families and return uh, to the land of Israel with Naomi. 
Uh, but it comes a point where, where Orpah realizes how much this is actually going to cost her to, to follow Naomi. And so she turns away, but Ruth clings to, to Naomi faithfully, counting the cost. A great act of faithfulness. But we see in chapters 2 and 3, uh, certainly in chapters 2 and then 2, uh, 3 and 4, God, God's faithfulness uh, being worked out. But at the, the end of chapter 1 now and at the beginning of chapter 2, we can see that this family, Naomi uh, and, and Ruth, are in need of provision. Um, they've got no uh, fields, they've got no way of working it, they come to the land of Israel with empty handed. And they're in need of provision. And God providentially guides this family in order to provide for their needs. Uh, But not only their immediate needs, but God is doing something far greater in that time. And as God providentially works out uh, the needs that we have, he's also working out a far greater plan for future redemption. And this is also true uh, for our lives, that God does meet our needs. But God, through the circumstances and situations in our life, is also preparing us for a future glory. So I just want us to consider three things. Uh, the first is, I want us to consider the mechanisms by which God providentially guides us. Second, I want to see how God meets our present needs. And my final point is how God prepares us for the future. So point one, the mechanism by which God use, uses to providentially guide us. The first way he does this is through our conscious decisions. So the conscious decisions that we make, God uses these to providentially guide us. And we see that in our text in verse 22. Um, Naomi returns. As, I think it actually might be verse 1, chapter 1, 22, sorry. Yes, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now a bit of uh, background um, uh, explanation is that the, the barley harvest was the first of the major harvests of the time. So this would seem to me that this was a conscious decision that, that Naomi and Ruth had made. Before they had nothing, they had no way of providing for themselves. So the, the obvious uh, decision to make was to come at the beginning of the barley harvest where they would be able to uh, glean the fields. And we'll talk a little bit more about what this idea of gleaning is. But it seems that, that this was uh, a conscious uh, decision that, that they'd made and, and the timing was essential for their provision. And we see that God can use our conscious decisions in order to guide us. God uses our good decisions. This would uh, seem to be uh, a good decision that they made, but he also uses uh, our bad decisions in order to providentially guide us. We think of uh, Moses killing the Egyptian or or Samson uh, telling his secrets to Delilah of his strength. And we can see how God uh, used those in order to to glorify his name and to fulfill his purposes for their lives. And this is extremely important that we recognize that that even our bad decisions are a mechanism that God uses to providentially have us in the place where he would have us to be. Because I don't know if you've been in this situation, you probably have, and and if you haven't, you will do. But you'll end up in a situation in your life and and, and, and the, the whole thing seems to be caving in, the whole world seems to be falling apart. And what will the devil do at that time? Well, he'll take you back to some decision that you've made previously that may be the reason why you're in this situation. You said, well, you, 
you made a bad decision there through sin, through uh, willful ignorance, or, or, or just an unwise decision. The devil will use that and say, how can God help you now? Look, you're, the reason why you're in this situation is because of a decision that you made. Well, that's not how the Bible explains how the situations that the Lord providentially guides us. He uses our conscious decisions, both our good decisions that we make and also the bad ones. But secondly, he also uh, guides us through our unconscious decisions. Uh, we may think that Ruth and Naomi um, ending up in the field uh, of Boaz was a, was a conscious decision that they made. And if we read uh, verses 1 and 2 of, of chapter 2, Uh, This would seem to be the case. Uh, It says, Naomi had a relative, her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I I shall find favour. And she said to her, go my daughters. So we're introduced in the first verse to this man, Elimelech, and it seems to follow that that maybe uh, Naomi had remembered this man and thought, well, that would be a good field in order uh, to glean. Uh, But if we look at verse 3, this doesn't seem to be the case. For it says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And this word happened here in the ESV uh, is the word uh, kara in uh, Hebrew. In the uh, Old Testament uh, context, uh, this means neither by pure chance or by the intentional decision of the person. Uh, The word biblical commentary tells us, rather it signifies that Ruth, without intention to do so, it's not a conscious decision, ended up gleaning in a field that belonged to Boaz. So God used this unconscious decision in order to providentially guide Ruth uh, into this field where God was going to provide for their needs. There is obviously uh, other uh, means which are not specifically uh, in our text that that God uses uh, to providentially guide us. Uh, The decisions of other people around us often change the, uh, the situation that we find ourselves in. Well, Psalm 33, 10, 11 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever at the plans of his heart to all generation. So even the decisions of other men, uh, God uses to providentially guide us. The devil himself. Uh, but as we know from Job, that the devil is restrained by the Lord. and The devil is only allowed to do that which the Lord determines in order to providentially guide his people. And finally, uh, nature itself. But Psalm 135.6.7 tells us, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. He it is who makes the clouds rise to the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. God is sovereignly in control of all things, even our conscious and unconscious decisions. And we must remember that God's providence uh, is directed is a consequence of his love for us. Romans 8, 38, 39 tells us, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Ruth, by the providence of God, found herself in the perfect place and at the perfect time for God to work out his plans. So the second point is 
our present needs met. And before I, I, uh, I go through uh, the points, I just want to uh, make this point because I think it, it's important. And I think we all know this instinctively, but I think sometimes we, we maybe forget it in uh, our situation and circumstances. Is that God does not meet the needs of our present situations, but tailors our present situations to meet our needs. It's subtle in the language, but it, but it makes a big difference. Let me say that again. God does not meet the needs of our present situation, but he tailors our present situations to meet our needs. I'll give you an example. Let's just say we have a, a sick child, maybe. And if our child is sick, we may think that, that uh, our, our present need is, is for that child to become well. As a good mother, as a good father, that, that's what we'd want. We want our, our child to be well. And may think this is our present need. But this circumstances, situation of this sick child, is God ordering it providentially that he meets needs through that situation, needs that maybe we don't even know that we have. And often these needs, in, certainly in our nation, are not the physical needs that we are reading about here in Ruth. Uh, she needs uh, food, shelter, uh, but, but our needs are, are often spiritual, and it's often our spiritual needs that are hidden. And we don't even know, many, as I say, many times what these spiritual needs are. And this is why it's wonderful that God is in, in control of, of, um, of the situation and circumstances that he, he providentially leads us in. So our present needs. I've got a few things I want to say about this. The first is that God provides these needs through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text, we see uh, that uh, Ruth meets uh, this uh, kinsman redeemer, uh, Boaz. And as I've mentioned before, Boaz is a a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Boaz even states himself in his conversation with Ruth in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and fully reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come. To take refuge. We have come to take refuge under the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, it is the Lord Jesus Christ and through him that all our needs are met. Romans 8.30, again Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? What a text this is, what a verse. If we have have any question of whether God will provide that which we need, all we need to do is look at the cross and see what he did provide. His son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who cost him everything he had. Everything else that we ask from God will cost him nothing to give. Even if we needed a new building and we needed £100,000, £200,000 for a new building, what it is. It costs God nothing. He can speak a word and, and, and create a pile of gold. The only thing that cost God was his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he paid that price for us. So how will he not graciously give us all things? Our provision is provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, God has instituted provision for his church. Uh, If we read uh, verse 3, so she set out, this is Ruth, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So this this idea of of gleaning, many of you will will, uh, understand this, but it was uh, 
it's in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, um, if you want to look it up. But it's basically, if, if there's people who are poor in the land of Israel and they haven't got uh, their own fields or no way to, to work that field, and so they've got no way of supporting themselves. And God says to those who have got fields to leave the edge of the, uh, the field unharvested. And when you harvest the field, only go over it once. So anything that's left uh, can be left for those who uh, are in need of food and they can uh, be sustained. And in the, uh, the, the New Testament church, uh, we see that the Lord institutes deacons uh, who he uses to provide uh, financially for uh, the church. And we have elders who uh, provide uh, spiritually uh, for, for the church. God has instituted, God, God is, is serious about providing uh, for his people. Uh, but we'll notice in, in both circumstances, uh, particularly uh, with, with the deacons, um, it says in 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, uh, it says, uh, let a widow be enrolled if she is not uh, less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children. Uh, so there is um, is an expectancy that, that God's people are going to be holy uh, and righteous. Uh, and we see also with, with the gleaning that this, the, the, they didn't, the harvesters didn't harvest the, 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 the grain and then bring them to the people. They had to go out and harvest. So, so God does provide, but we need to work. God, God intends us to, uh, to, to, to do our part, uh, if you like. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not just speaking about um, the physical necessities. Yes, we should work. It's important. And, and it says uh, in New Testament, if, if we don't work, uh, if we're not willing to work, then we, we don't eat. Um, but, but it's these spiritual things that, that God wants to provide, the, the things of, of utmost importance. We need to work. We need to be serious about our spiritual growth. We need to use the means of grace that God has given us, the scriptures, prayer, a meeting for, uh, for fellowship, um, iron sharpening, iron meeting together. Uh, we need to use these things. We need to be serious uh, about this. Um, so that is my, my second point. Point three is that, and, and Tom brought this out uh, earlier on, is today, uh, today that uh, God provides for us uh, daily. He provides our daily needs. Uh, we see uh, in verse 9 in Ruth, uh, chapter 2, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So God is providing here for Ruth, but she'll have to go back to drink many times a day she'll get hot get thirsty and she'll need to go back God's providing just uh, what she needs here in this situation and it and it's the same uh, with us uh, that God provides for us that which we need on a day-by-day basis and again we think of those more important things of, of spiritual um, the spiritual blessings that we need and sometimes we may think and, and cry out to Lord, how am I even going to get through today? How, how am I going to get through today? And, and the Lord gives us just enough to get to, to the end of the day. And as was mentioned this morning, we, we see it in the text of Scripture, the manna in the wilderness, for example. I won't elaborate because it was uh, elaborated beautifully this morning. And also, as Tom mentioned, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We are, we're told to ask for the Lord daily. He will provide for us. And the reasons why uh, the Lord does this is that, um, that we, uh, it reminds us that, that our provision comes from him. Uh, it, it, it reminds us to keep our eyes on the Lord and, and to go, for him, go to him for our provision. 
Uh, but it also keeps us from becoming proud and conceited. If the Lord gave us uh, everything we needed for a month, I know by the end of the month I'm going to think that I've got that in my power rather than uh, the provision of the Lord. So he provides for our, our needs on a daily basis. But fourthly, at special times there is abundance. Verse 14, and at mealtime Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he, pressed, and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. God provides for us our daily bread for the reasons that, that I've just mentioned. But God's heart is to, to, to give us in abundance. That's, that's what God desires. Um, and he, he provides for us daily because of our, our sinful natures. But in glory, uh, God is going to provide in, in abundance. And we, we'll see the full heart of God in his provision uh, when we think of uh, uh, that time when we, we'll be uh, in glory. And, and, and God, this is probably not theologically correct, but it's almost like God can't help himself. He just, he just, he's desperate to bless us with abundance. He just sees us and he understands that we, we need to be fed daily. But he just, I just love this child. I just love, I just love my church. And he, and he, just, he just pours out his blessing upon us. That's his heart. That's what he longs to do. And so we should never think when, when we are receiving our daily bread and we think we're just enough the day, that little morsel. We, we should never think God is being stingy. You should always remember that, that God's heart is great towards us. Again, look to the cross, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. But remember that God loves us. God longs to pour out his blessing abundantly upon us. That's the heart of God. Point five, and again Tom mentioned this morning, that he provides enough to share. Uh, verse 17 and 18 Again, speaking of Ruth, so she gleaned in the field until evening and she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephra of barley and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw uh, what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food uh, she had left over after being satisfied. God provides for us, not just to build us up, not just for, for our blessing, but, it, but he provides for us that we can be a blessing to others. And the things that God gives to us, we, we need to hold them lightly. We need to recognize that, that, that these things that God has placed into our hands more than likely are because we are to hand it off unto someone else. And what a, what a blessing it is to, to be someone who, who does that, who blesses others. Because that's the heart of God. That, that's, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came not to be served, but, but to serve. Uh, and we, we can share in that blessing, and it, and it is a blessing. And I know sometimes if I've got something that I want to keep hold of, it doesn't feel like a blessing. But it, but it is. That's our sinful hearts that would, would keep the blessings that God gives to ourselves and, and not share them with, with one another. And that's not also, uh, again, the physical things. We can often think of that, but the spiritual blessings, the way that God has, has dealt with us in our life, the, the lessons that God has learned. Uh, when we've been through a situation and someone else is walking through that situation, we'll be there, the one, holding their hand, uh, walking it through with them, sharing them the, the faithfulness of God in our lives, showing them, well, yes, I see your situation, it looks dire, but my situation was, was similar, and look how faithful the Lord was. 
Finally, on this second point, during all this provision, God is also protecting us, and that's very important, uh, that God is, is protecting us as his people. See uh, in verse 9, Let your eyes be on the field uh, that they are reaped and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Uh, and it's, it's similar in verse uh, 15 and 16, though I won't... Uh, I've got time, why not? Uh, when she, uh, verse 15 and 16, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean after among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and pull out even some from the bundles for her, and leave it uh, to her to, uh, for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Here we see Boaz again, this type of Christ, interceding uh, for Ruth, uh, telling his, his workmen to, to look after her. And similarly, our Lord Jesus Christ, what is his job at the moment? His, his job of, of, of the cross, of, of redemption, as paying the price for our sin is done. Uh, and now his job is interceding for us. Uh, what a wonderful thing that is. When we think about this man, Boaz, who protected uh, this young lady who was very vulnerable, as was discussed earlier. As Naomi and, her, and, and Ruth talked about this, that she was very vulnerable. Uh, and this man who was capable of looking after how, how he interceded for her. Um, that's a wonderful thing. But Boaz is just a man and Ruth, potentially, even though he asked the workmen to look after her. Uh, things happen, circumstances happen, and, and maybe Ruth could have come under attack somewhere or another Boaz was just a man but the Lord Jesus Christ no one uh, no one gets around him no one gets past him no one, uh, no one is able as the Bible says to snatch us from his hands and the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us we are fully protected what a precious thing that is particularly as the days draw dark we've had it very good in this nation for a long time, so of our, uh, our fathers and our grandfathers, but we are probably now coming to a time in our nation when at least what we believe is under attack, if not ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ, while he is providing for us, is also a work, this great work of protecting uh, his people. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. But his primary consideration when he prays for us is, yes, our physical, our physical protection, but we know from church history that people, good Christian men and women and young children, have, have gone to the stake uh, professing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we think, where was Christ's protection then? And Christ did protect them until that point that he gave them that job to do, there is no doubt. But his main concern is protecting our faith, and that is a wonderful thing, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about protecting our faith. Remember what, what he said to, to Peter, that I prayed that your faith will not fail. And we see in Luke 22, um, uh, 30, uh, sorry, Luke uh, twenty-two, thirty-two. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have paid, prayed that your faith will not fail, and when uh, you have turned again, strengthen your your brothers. How wonderful that is! Because sometimes we 
that which is most precious to us, our faith. Sometimes we, can f- we feel if, it, if it's just up to us that that faith can fail. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about that. He's praying that our faith will not fail, that we will continue to the end. That's why we will continue to the end. Not because there's any faithfulness in us, but because Christ is asking the Father that our faith will not fail. And do you think there is any prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ asked the Father that he will not answer? Of course, the answer is no. What a beautiful thing that is. So my third point. So God provides for us now, but he's also preparing us for the future. Um, the first sub-point that God uh, is faithful, uh, God's faithfulness is demonstrated to us. And this is preparing us for the future when we, we see God as, as, as Ruth has seen uh, the, the faithfulness of God while uh, in, in the provision that he gave. And as, and as we uh, look uh, through our lives and look at the lives of others in the church, that's one of the reasons why we need to be connected with, with others in the church to see not only the faith of God working in our lives, but the faithfulness of God uh, working uh, in others. This is, this is preparing us for the future. Because uh, there will come times in, in our lives when we need to know that God is trustworthy. There will be times in our lives uh, that seem so bleak that we need to know that, that God is faithful. And so we look back over the times where God has been faithful, these circumstances and situations, we look back and we see God has been faithful. But not only in our lives, we can look uh, at the scripture, uh, and I'll speak a little bit uh, later briefly on on Hebrews 11 and that great um, uh, hall of fame, of faith as it is. And people can think when they look through, through Hebrews 11 and see the, the hall of faith, they can think, well, that's the faithfulness of these men to God. But I think the way that we should look at it is that there's God's faithfulness to them. That's, that's a, a, a testimony of God's faithfulness. And there will, there will come times in our life when we need to know, experientially need to know, not just a head knowledge, but we need an experiential knowledge that God is faithful. And we get that through the circumstances and situations that God leads us in. Particularly when we think about facing that final enemy, death. When we're face to face with death, that, that final enemy, as, as the Lord Jesus Christ says, and none of us have been there before, and we don't know anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ that has been and come back. That dark portal, as it were, how at that time we need to know that God is faithful, that, that he is interceding, that our faith will not fail uh, that he is in times past being good and faithful to us. So my second sub-point. God uses these uh, circumstances and situations prov- that he providentially guides in to connect us with other people. Uh, we see that uh, in this passage that, that Ruth is introduced to Boaz. Um, and we're, Boaz uh, is mentioned that he's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech in, in verse 1. And we see that through this meeting uh, of Ruth and Boaz, that, that uh, Elimelech, uh, whose name has been all but wiped out, is redeemed. Uh, we see that uh, through um, the redemption of this, this family, uh, that God uh, provides a type of the Lord Jesus Christ through the actions of Boaz to, for future generations and for us today. And he also provides the lineage of, of King David and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
So we see that if, if Ruth had not been led into this, this um, providential situation, then, then none of this uh, would have taken place. And it's true for us that, that God is providentially uh, building his church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 says, And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer uh, spiritual sacrifices acceptable uh, to God through Jesus Christ. And we think of uh, this, this analogy of building a house, and we may be thinking in, in today's context, and, and we have all these nicely shaped bricks, and they all fit nicely together, so it doesn't matter which brick you pull off the pole, you can put it on, plaster it, and the house is fine. When you're building a house out of stones, these stones are all different shapes and sizes, and if you just pick any old stone off the heap and put it on that place, then the house is going to be uh, very unstable. As the Lord uses his circumstances and situations to connect the people who he wants together, to connect people into a church, to connect churches into uh, denominations, and ultimately to the, to the, the, the church, um, uh, building this, this great house. Uh, and it's the master builder, uh, God himself, who, who is building this house. And it's God himself who providentially guided us. There is many reasons why we are all sat in, in this uh, church today. There is many reasons why uh, we got here. But all of this is providentially being worked out so that he could connect us together, us here together, uh, as one body, to accomplish a task that he has for this church, whatever uh, that may be. But it is the circumstances and situations, God's providential guiding that has us here. He's connecting the Ethiopian eunuchs to the Philips. He's connecting the Corneliuses to the Peters. And he's connecting the Timothys to the Pauls. This great work that God is involved in. And I'm just glad it's the master builder that's in charge of all this. Um, and, and, And how we... How we are not just random people that God has just said, well, there's, there's a group of people in soil, let's just put them all in a church. But we have gifts and abilities, we, we have uh, testimonies of, of what the Lord has done in our lives. We are all uh, individuals that the Lord has been working on, chipping off those, those edges of the stone so we fit perfectly in, that, that we are perfect for each other. And that is incredible, isn't it? When we, when we think about that, that, that we are... We are a gift to each other. The Lord has put you here and, and me here that, that, uh, that, that we are perfectly shaped yeah, in order to be a blessing to each other and, and furthermore to glorify God in this place. And the, the final sub-point, or my final point, um, that God is, is, is building character. Uh, and we look at verse uh, 11 Uh, It says, but Boaz answered her, this is speaking to Ruth, uh, all that you have done uh, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband uh, has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came uh, to the people uh, that you did uh, did not know before. Now, I'm not a great romantic, uh, but I suspect that um, uh, that, that Boaz... um, did not fall in love with Ruth just uh, because she had a pretty face. What I suspect we see here is the reason why Boaz was attracted to, to this young lady 
when he looked at her faithfulness to her mother-in-law, that she left her father and mother to come to this foreign land. And I think as, as he saw Ruth working in the field and not taking a break, just water and then work, working hard throughout the day that she could provide uh, for her mom. And I think, I think that's when he started to look at this woman. I think that, that is a, a beautiful uh, woman. Uh, we see that, that through the, not necessarily the, the circumstances that we see in chapter 2, but the circumstances of chapter 1, God was using to create this character in Ruth uh, that, that, uh, that made her this woman that was lovely and, and made her this woman that was, was, was perfect for Boaz, in which God was going to do all these, these wonderful things. But without this character, that even if she'd met Boaz, if she was, uh, you know, she was not a hard-working woman and she maybe turned up on day one and then took the rest of the week off and, um, you know, she'd, she'd not had this, this beautiful character that God had been developing her through her circumstance situation, uh, that this union would never have taken place. And so it is the, the same with us. Uh, that God is producing a character in us. Uh, firstly, for the hope of eternal life, it says in Romans 5, 3 to, to 5. Uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, uh, the, through the Holy Spirit who has been given uh, to us and Philippians 2 22-23 says uh, but now you Timothy's proven worth uh, but you know Timothy's proven worth is speaking to the Philippians Paul is writing to the Philippians how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me this word in the Greek proven worth is, is the same one that's used in Romans 3 as, as character so we can see here that, that Paul is looking to the character of, of Tim, uh, Timothy and he's saying that, that he is the man for you. He is the man uh, that, I, that I'm going to send. And God is preparing us for the work that is to come in our lives. We don't know what that is. That is why often we do not know what our needs are for we don't know what job we are going to be doing in five, ten years' time or where, wherever it may be. Uh, but this, uh, the, the circumstance of our lives are this preparatory work uh, in order to prepare us for the work that the Lord has, prepare our character for the work that the Lord has for us. Very quickly, I'm just going to mention four points of application. So what do we do? Well, we, we trust, trust the Lord. Uh, we are a poor judge of what we actually need. The Lord knows what we need. Uh, and as I mentioned, we can look at that, that um, the, uh, the Hall of Faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, going through all those names. I encourage you to do that from time to time. Go through Hebrews 11, 1 and look at those names and maybe stop at each name and, and go to the portion of Scripture that talks about them and read the story of God's uh, faithfulness uh, in, uh, in their lives. Um, we should ask the Lord um, for for the faith and, uh, and, and the things that we need for that day. Remember, the Lord provides daily, and, and the, the Lord's uh, prayer tells us to, to uh, ask for the Lord our daily needs. We, we, should be, we should be doing that. We need to be obedient to the Lord in every circumstance. The right action is always the righteous action. You may be in a very difficult situation, and, and there may be very difficult decisions that you need to make, but the right action is always the righteous action. 
And how do you know what that is? Well, we need wisdom. So ask the Lord and we need to know what the Lord commands us to in his word. Again, these, these means of grace that the Lord has given us. So we need to be obedient to the Lord. And we need to persevere. For we may think that the Lord can deal with us and the things that we need in a couple of weeks. But the Lord knows what we need. And, and it, it may be a protracted period where the Lord would have us in these times of struggle and suffering. For the Lord to do what truly needs to be done. So we need to persevere. We need to remember that God is faithful, faithful to us even when things are looking bleak. And the final thing is we need to thank him for his faithfulness. It's, it's unchanging. We're going, to re- we're going to sing shortly, great is our faithfulness. His, his faithfulness is unchanging. And we can thank him for that, even though maybe we don't see the answer to our prayers, even though we maybe don't see the end of our situation. We know that God is faithful. And so we should always be uh, people who are thankful to the Lord. So let's just come before the Lord in prayer and then sing our final hymn. Father God, we again, Lord, thankful for uh, your uh, great faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, as I've preached this word, and Lord, it's just a man and maybe stumbled through it and maybe said things too fast and things were missed. But Lord, you, Lord, you know what your people need, Father. And I just, I just pray, Father, have mercy upon us. Be with us, Lord. May these things that I've spoken about in your word, may they be realities in our life, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to apply. Help us to trust you, to obey, to be for you in prayer, to persevere, uh, and to be ever thankful. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace, and for your great faithfulness to us, Lord. Amen.